take our reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, and we'll read down to chapter 4, verse 1. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Amen. Have you had a good week at work? I hope you have. Uh, Work is our subject again tonight as we finish our study of the commands in the household code that are addressed to servants. I set up uh, this text for us last week. I talked about the context in which uh, Paul was saying these things and uh, I talked about how they are relevant to the arrangements that characterise our workplaces today. Now, although this was originally addressed to slaves, maybe you feel like a slave, the commands apply to employees. The point is that we are are to live out our new life in Christ, not just in the church and in the home, but also in the workplace. Not just as husbands and wives and parents, but also as employees. And this is very important because we spend such a large part of our life at work. In verses 22 through 25, we see four things that characterise the new man at work. We considered the first two last week. In verse 22, Paul talks about a new way of working. Uh, The Christian not only obeys his boss, but he does so with the right attitude. He doesn't just uh, work hard when the boss is watching or just to get in the boss's good books, not with eye service or as a man pleaser, but rather he works with sincerity, with genuine commitment to and care for his work and his colleagues. And he works this way because he fears the Lord. We then saw in verse 23 a new way of thinking and this is the key. A Christian works from the heart as to the Lord. And that's because the Christian recognises that he or she is actually working for the Lord. You know, doing the Lord's work in this world. As I said last week, whether it's changing nappies or changing tyres or whatever it might be. All work is work for the Lord. And that led us into a discussion of the transcendent nature of work. It's always been service to the Lord, going right back to the creation. In this text, Paul is giving to work its original dignity and significance, and that would have been especially encouraging for people who were slaves. That was the first part of this lesson and you can find it on our website if you want to catch up with it. This evening we're going to consider what the Apostle says in verses 24 and 25. There we see a new motivation and then an old reminder. Before we get to them, let's pray and commit our time of study to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that we now for these next few minutes can open the Bible and uh, 
listen to what you have to say to us. And we pray that it would be your voice that is heard, uh, your truth, your thoughts, and not the opinions of a man. Lord, we pray that you'd grant to us the understanding, and we pray that you'd give us grace to apply what we learn. We love you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. A new motivation. A new motivation. As the Christian goes about his or her work, there is something that they know, or at least they're supposed to know. See that first word there in verse 24? Knowing. There is something that we know that motivates us. And it's different to what motivates the average person in the workplace. I think it's safe to say that the average worker is motivated by financial concerns. You know, the the pay packet at the end of the week. Some are motivated by a commitment to what they do, to their craft, or to the mission of the organisation. They have some kind of intrinsic motivation as well. Yes, there's a pay packet they're looking forward to, but some other internal motivation. These are all perfectly okay within limits. It's okay for a Christian to have an eye towards the pay that's going to be deposited in the bank account at the end of the fortnight. It's okay to work towards financial security, to to buy a house or save for a holiday. There is nothing wrong with any of that. And if you really believe in what you do at work, that's great too. Uh, Maybe you work in a caring profession or in education or in public service or in agriculture or whatever it might be, and you're committed to it. You you really believe in what you do, helping people, improving their, their quality of life, building a better society. I mean, if that's the case... That's wonderful, you know, praise the Lord. But overall that for the Christian is this new motivation, a greater, more significant motivation. It's, it's not just the pay packet or improving people's lives that drives us, it's knowing that of the Lord we shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for we serve the Lord Christ. As we talked about last week, in whatever our field of labour, we're working for the Lord. It's divine service and He will reward us. If I can put it this way, there is a great payday coming that will far outweigh anything we've received in this life. Before we get into what exactly Paul was referring to, it's worth noting that this promise had extra special significance to Paul's original readers. For generally speaking, slaves had little to no hope of an inheritance, nor were they remunerated for their services. We think we're poorly paid and have little prospect of getting ahead in life. Those slaves had nothing, and virtually no hope of improving their situation, maybe they could purchase their freedom or a benefactor might do that for them, but generally they had very little hope. So what an encouragement, what joy for them to know all about this. There's a reward, an inheritance from the Lord Christ. Maybe this is encouragement that you need given how you feel about your job at the moment. We have to take a moment to consider the word reward here in our text because I think there is often some confusion. We tend to blur the difference between the word reward and the word award. 
Now, we often use them synonymously, and, and that's okay, but there is an important difference in meaning. An award is an honour given to a person for outstanding achievement or for, for coming first or, or whatever. It's, it's a prize. Whereas the word reward carries the idea of something given in return, a recompense, a payment. The pay that gets put in your bank account each fortnight is a reward for your service, something given to you in return for what you've done. It's not an award. If you worked especially hard all year, hit all your targets, and your boss decided to give you a bonus, that's an award, an honour, a recognition of your achievement. In our text, the Greek word Paul uses refers to a recompense or a repayment. It's closer to our idea of a wage than a bonus. This is not a prize or an award for outstanding service. This is simply something given in return. And we have to be clear about that. But here's where the text gets tricky. Notice it says, the reward of the inheritance... Now, what do we know about an inheritance? Can you earn an inheritance? Is it something you work for? No. By nature, an inheritance is not something that can be earned. It's something a person is entitled to on account of their parentage. Now, I will one day inherit a portion of my parents' estate. Oh, and it's going to be huge, I'm sure. But, but not because I worked really hard, not by, because I earned it, but because I'm their child. And it's no different for Christians. We have not earned Our inheritance, the inheritance that Paul talks about here, comes to us by grace alone. It's been granted to us because we've been both born again and adopted into the family of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. So this inheritance is not earned, it's not a transaction, you know, we do certain things and God gives it to us, no. It's ours because we're part of God's family, we're his sons, even the ladies in this room are the sons of God. And yet there is a sense in which this inheritance will function as a recompense for our service. It will serve as a reward for our labour. The best illustration I can think of is that of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Now let's put aside his self-righteousness for a moment and his bad attitude and think about what his father said to him. Luke chapter 15 verse 31. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. All that the father had belonged to this son, and one day he would take full possession of it. It was his inheritance because he was the father's son. He was entitled to it on account of his parentage, and it would serve as a recompense, a, as a reward for all his labours. It was something to look forward to. This is the idea of the Christian's inheritance. It's not something we receive on account of our good works or our service to the Lord, 
but it will serve as a recompense. It will be a reward, a great payday, if you like. So what is this inheritance? Well, it's interesting how the New Testament employs this terminology. Uh, The kingdom of God is said to be something that we inherit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. A very similar passage is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things, in other words, that is, those who make a practice of these things, those who practice these works of the flesh unrepentantly, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in this sense is salvation and all of the blessings that are a, a part of our salvation. And the kingdom of God is ours solely by grace through faith. There's no other way to receive it, no other way to become part of it. This is our inheritance and one day we will enter into it in all of its fullness when we're glorified, when we're in the presence of Christ. We live in the already but not yet. We possess and enjoy this inheritance already as believers but not yet. Now, like the older brother, we're working for our father and all he has is ours and there is abundant life and joy in relationship with the father, but, but not yet. There are things that aren't ours yet. Final salvation is also spoken of as something we inherit. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Inheritors of salvation. Now the reference is to to something that Christians are looking forward to. The salvation of the body. Glorification when we're rid of sin and the corruption that it has wrought in us and we're, we're all looking forward to that aspect of our inheritance, I'm sure. Then, of course, when the Bible talks of our inheritance, it includes heaven and all its blessings. This is perhaps what we normally think of. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. The spiritual blessings that we enjoy now by virtue of our union with Christ and membership in God's family... And the greater blessings that are to come, this is our inheritance and this is our ultimate reward. This is what motivates us. Present joy and the hope of better things to come. 
My work now might be dull and boring. My boss might treat me poorly, but hey, I have a master in heaven. And what he has in store for me is incredible. And so I can keep working hard, keep doing my best to honour him out of gratitude for him. The day is coming when, as uh, the hymn writer said, it will be worth it all. Life's trials will seem so small. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase when we see Christ. This really is the application in the workplace of what Paul said earlier in this chapter. Look please up to verses 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We are to be heavenly minded, ultimately motivated by heavenly concerns, looking to Jesus, living for Jesus and for his kingdom. We can become just as materialistic and mercenary as everyone else in our workplace. We can be completely driven by a desire for financial security and advancement, or driven by the desire to get enough money to pay for the next fun thing, the next holiday, the next new toy, the next weekend away. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of that. There is a problem if this is solely or preeminently what's motivating us, if we're not heavenly minded whatsoever. If it's about serving self and not about serving the Lord, if it's about our recompense in this life and not the next one, and we need to repent and ask for God to change us inwardly. Knowing, Paul says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now just as an addendum to this point, the New Testament does teach that part of the inheritance that all Christians enjoy, is the prospect of rewards. And I use this word in the sense of an honour bestowed upon a person for some achievement. I don't think this is what Paul was talking about here in Colossians chapter 3, but it is relevant to this discussion. Now there is a recompense that all believers share in, the kingdom of God, final salvation, heaven. But there will also be rewards from Jesus that are related to how we lived our Christian life. Now, this is taught in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15, and in other places as well. Now, we will not be judged for our sin that was taken care of by Jesus at the cross, but our works... What we did with our life will be assessed. We will give an account, the Apostle Paul says. And there will be rewards or loss of reward. Jesus will praise those who have been faithful. Uh, Perhaps he will say those famous words in the parable in Matthew chapter 25. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what an honour it would be to hear that from the lips of our Saviour. Can you imagine that? (laughs) The New Testament also mentions a number of crowns that will be given. And so there is this additional motivation to be found faithful on that day, to to hear a word of approval from our Lord to receive a crown and then to be able to fall down and give thanks and praise back to the one who gave it, to the one who has 
given us everything. And so, to go along with a a new way of working and a new way of thinking, we have a a new motivation. That's not the end of the section. Paul wraps up his address to servants, not with something else that is new, but with something old, something that has always been the case. It's there in the last verse of of the chapter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. We have an old reminder. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. What Paul was basically saying is that if, if you do the wrong thing, you will get what you deserve. And I think he was saying this in the context of the workplace. Now, just because you're a Christian, just because you serve the Lord Christ, doesn't free you from your responsibility to serve your earthly master. There is no special treatment here. In this verse, Paul seems to be anticipating what some slaves might have been tempted to think. As one scholar puts it, Paul is concerned that slaves do not view service to their new master, Christ, as reason to treat lightly the obligation they bear to their human masters. Thus he warns them of the judgment they will incur if they do wrong. And beloved, this has always been the case. That we are servants of Christ doesn't take us out from under the authority of human institutions and leaders. And this goes right back to Moses and probably beyond. God vested authority in the heads of families. He gave authority to judges, to the elders in Israel, and later on to kings. And God's people were to obey these human leaders. Uh, There is a God-ordained authority structure in the home, in the state, in the church, and in the workplace. And the Christian is, is not outside of that. And uh, if we fail in our obligation to our boss, if we're lazy, if we're disobedient, if we don't do a good job, then we can expect to receive what we deserve. We're, we're not somehow excused because we serve the Lord Jesus. You know, there, there is no respect of persons, no partiality when it comes to this matter. This teaching is repeated in a couple of other places in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13. But for now, please turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to read from uh, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And uh, that includes the ordinances, the the laws that regulate your workplace, your contract of employment, your obligations to your employer. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, now listen to verse 16. I think this is what Paul was aiming at in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. Okay? Peter says, As free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, yes, you're free in Christ. The penalty of sin has been paid, you're forgiven and clean forever, but don't use that freedom as an excuse. 
as a covering for bad behaviour, but conduct yourselves as servants of God. It's an awful thing when Christians do this. It's a terrible testimony and it's an affront to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this doesn't just apply in the workplace, but in every sphere of life. You know, sadly, there are Christians who, are, who won't submit to authority or they do the wrong thing or they behave selfishly and they excuse themselves by claiming to be free in Christ. They use their gospel freedom as a cloak, a, a covering for unchristian behaviour. Paul denounced this attitude in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't use your freedom in Christ, your justification by faith alone, your eternal security as an excuse for living a flesh-driven life. But, Paul says, by love serve one another. And that applies in the workplace too. And so, the new man at work. That's what we see at the end of Colossians chapter 3. Our our new life in Christ is to be lived out in our workplaces. May God impress these truths upon our heart. May God help us to obey. Amen.